0: No, I'm to explain to you
1: real
0: quick. Don't be wrong yet. So there's a reason for it. So why you get that right. I did get that right. I'm kind of curious as to how you got into crypto.
1: Yeah, I'm happy to give my background. Um So I'm an attorney and, uh, and I did one year um, doing commercial litigation at Gordon and Reese. And I thought that it was what I wanted to do with my career, but I pretty quickly realized that I just didn't have sort of the um, partially regulatory, but also just innovative side that I was looking for to really kind of keep up with current events. And so I was lucky enough to as a second year attorney, joined a company called Dollar X that was a wholesale currency exchange company. And it really exposed me to all the financial regulatory questions and issues that the cryptocurrency space also handles. And so once I, once I got to be familiar with that space and started to learn about Bitcoin, I just kind of went down the rabbit hole and, and realized that this was where I wanted to spend my time and energy.
0: So is it your own firm or do you work for a larger firm? What What's your background in terms of legal?
1: Yeah, so Anderson Kill is a larger firm, uh, mainly based on the East Coast, but um, and mainly focusing more on litigation and insurance, actually. But they've been working for many years to build out a cryptocurrency practice. I lead that practice with two other attorneys and we've really started to represent most of the industry in varying, you know, commercial, corporate, and regulatory issues that come up.
0: <clears throat> Absolutely know who you are. <clears throat> kind of knew the answer before I asked it, but I just want the audience to be able to, to kind of get the background here. I mean, it's really it's a new field. I know that I say a new field, but Bitcoin's twelve years old. But I can yeah. remember eleven years ago, ten years ago, nine years ago, seven years ago, mining Bitcoin. Uh, BitNile, cool. the company that I'm the founder of, is one of the largest miners now. We're not the largest by far, but we're definitely, uh, when it comes to mine Bitcoin, we're definitely growing pretty dramatically. We That's had awesome. a couple stops and starts. We've had some <laughs> – it's not been a straight line, if you know what I'm saying. That's uh, how the
1: crypto crypto space and startup world work yeah, lately. Yeah,
0: <laughs> never has been. Um, I want to – if it's okay with you, because obviously this is taped, so people will see this later – Sure. Uh, and I know you do a lot of work with Coinbase and some of the other platforms, but I, want, it's, I think people are thoroughly confused, and I wondered if you could talk about the ETF concept or if you had any comment about there being a bit, an actual Bitcoin ETF cash versus a futures. Uh, right. And if not, I understand, but I just kind of wanted to get your take on it.
1: Yeah, no, I'm happy to. I mean, I don't know if it's helpful to go into sort of the background of of crypto regulation first, um, because it sort of builds off of it. But pretty much um, in the U.S., you know, for many years when I was an attorney in the space, I think the industry was kind of fighting against this idea of cryptocurrency as the wild, wild west, when in actuality, it's very heavily regulated on the state and federal level Um, and probably the most... um, I guess I'd say, hostile uh, regulator in the space is the SEC. And I think it's gotten more so over over time as there was the ICO phase in 2017 and various crypto companies launching in this space, launching tokens really as a way to raise capital and fundraise using the ICO platform rather than going the traditional IPO route through the SEC. And so my personal feeling is just that the SEC is, slowly moving to continue to heavily regulate and enforce in this area. And so with, um, with spot or futures ETFs, the idea is that in many other countries, Canada is a good example, both spot and future ETFs have been approved. And in the U S the SEC has approved, um, futures, Bitcoin ETFs, which means that you can invest, um, on things that are really based on the underlying asset, but not the underlying asset itself. They continue to um, not approve Bitcoin spot ETFs. And, and it, there is a lot of confusion. I don't have a good answer for it. Honestly, the idea that, you know, that the SEC has continued to say that it's based on those markets being susceptible to market manipulation, but most of the ways in which pricing mechanics work for futures products are the same as spot, and so it's left a lot of projects and attorneys in the space kind of scratching their head, um, and even writing letters to the SEC saying this just doesn't make sense. And so today we still don't have, uh, you know, the spot Bitcoin ETF in the U.S. Yeah, I, I,
0: I get a sense that I know that the funny part is that Gary Gensler, Secretary Gensler, Chairman Gensler, he. Yeah. He's taught about blockchain, um, but it makes a little. It makes no sense to me. They've deemed it not a security. Bitcoin and Ethereum. Now, did they officially say? Did they officially say that about Ethereum, or did they say that about Bitcoin in a way where we just heard that? Because they've. I've heard them say it's not a security, but is yeah. is it not a security to them?
1: The SEC is interesting because they really have been regulating through enforcement and then providing guidance, occasionally official guidance, but also just through these sort of speeches that don't count as official guidance or law. And so I'd say that the, the Ethereum not being ETH not being a security is really based more on comments we've heard in over the past years. And, and there's arguments to be made that, um, that it could arguably still be that. But I think it's the, you know, the Ethereum network has expanded in such a way. And the SEC has said that a, a cryptocurrency can start out as a security and morph into something different when it becomes decentralized enough. And so that would, you know, probably be the argument current today about ETH is that it's it's been around and it would still function without that centralized, you know, oversight or organization, but, um, you know, I would say that I also think there's a lot of political plays in action in the U S um, you know, Gary Gensler did teach cryptocurrency at, at various um, you know, colleges, law, law, um, law courses. And I act, when he joined the SEC, I was pretty um, cautiously optimistic about how he would choose to regulate the space. But what I'm seeing is sort of this bigger, um, maybe bigger motive behind the scenes of cryptocurrency sort of being plugged into the banks and CBDCs and becoming more of something that the government can control. And so I think a lot of the climate coming from the SEC is sort of trying to support that that mm-hmm. initiative or that sort of stance on the on the crypto space. It,
0: it, it's, it seems like to me, I guess I'm jumping to conclusion because I'm pretty biased, but it seems like you're making a case for Bitcoin.
1: Yes, I am, definitely. Because yeah, okay. so, I was going to yeah, say, I, mean, I don't think
0: they can put the get Bitcoin genie back in the bottle. They
1: can't, you know, and, and I, th- they, I think they'd like to. I think that the idea of something being able to operate without government, bank, monetary policy, being able to control it um, is something that's very threatening to Regulators, and especially the U.S., that has had sort of been the leader of the of the global market. Um, but but, but it, that,
0: but, but that, that but Haley, that's, that's the argue- that's the exact. uh You know, I apologize. I don't normally interrupt guests, and, and I didn't mean to do that. I apologize. But okay. but like your point, what you were saying was that's this is they'd like to regulate it, or you think they'd want to get control of how it's monitored or handled. But isn't that exactly the point of Bitcoin? Like, yeah. isn't that exactly going to feed into the frenzy? Like, that they, they have to walk this fine line because but, but, they're like, going to be emboldening the whole world that believes that decentralized finance makes sense.
1: Right. Yeah, I think the harder that they try to fight against, like, innovation and decentralization of currency, it's an advertisement for Bitcoin.
0: Wow. Haley, I don't like to be the guy who asks those like sort of preformed questions, but I'm going to ask it because I have to. But what are your thoughts on the best case scenarios for regulation of crypto in the U.S. and globally? Like what, what would be the ultimate outcome for you as a lawyer?
1: So it's funny. I guess that question has like two levels for me because I'm a, I'm a holder of cryptocurrency and Bitcoin um, and I'm a lawyer in this space. From, from being a lawyer in the space, the difficulty arises in that many of the regulators are using old regulation and trying to apply it to cryptocurrency, which is something sort, sort of something we've never seen before. And so when a regulator is trying to discuss cryptocurrency as money or as a security and just putting it in old law, um, there's a lot of gray area for, for lawyers in the space trying to help... Um, you know, all of our clients are coming to Anderson Kill looking to do things the right way. And it's very difficult when there's not clarity in the regulation. So for most businesses and legal practices in the United States, I would say um, more clarity um, and potentially regulators being a little bit more innovative with their rules and regulations as well, not just trying to rely on old regulations that were created before this idea of crypto even existed. Um, But from a Bitcoin holders' perspective, the ideal is that um, that government and regulators would really understand the importance of financial privacy um, and not view privacy the same as sort of like secrecy or having something to hide. But in other areas of our day-to-day life, I think people really understand the need for um, less surveillance um, and and that at its core, I think has a lot to do with Bitcoin, because the idea that the government and banks just get to see everything we do with our day to day lives um, and really surveil our financial transactions is a little it's a little odd, to be honest, that everyone's really OK with that.
0: This is actually where where I think a U.S. digital fiat currency that's all digital to me runs amok, and that is. The idea that you're going to say to the government, okay, everything I have now is now digital. There is no like, paper fiat. Yep. And they can see and track everything on the blockchain you ever do with your, crypt- your own fiat. Okay. And they can print more of it that way. It, yep. it is uh, – well, if you, if you take it to its extreme, right, you go, well, the Chinese banned Bitcoin cause they, and they issued their own crypto. But now they know everything their citizens spend money on. They know everywhere they yeah. go. You, you could go down a rabbit hole. That's pretty bad there. Um, yeah,
1: I mean, I think that I think that there should be a better understanding that wanting privacy um, and wanting more con- personal control over your finances does not necessarily mean you are trying to ma- launder money or or do something illicit. I mean, that's just not the not the way we should think about it. And when you go back to even like internet law and encryption there's a lot to be said for um encrypting and privacy even even more so than bitcoin offers um and so yeah if you go t- down this road of cent- you know centrally um issued digital currency it's it's going to increase the ability of banks and the government to surveil what you're doing
0: yeah i was going to say the the idea that um The idea that Bitcoin, um, yeah, I I, I didn't lose my train of thought, but I would say to you the privacy part of it, the privacy part of it is a really interesting scenario because you see that they were able to track money hacked in Bitcoin and do this big recovery recently. And yet the government and tons of government officials and politicians say, look what they're using Bitcoin for. I mean, Charlie Munger, it's a a haven for uh, criminals. Yeah. Uh the Fiat that Charlie Munger makes is a Fiat is a haven for criminals. I mean yeah. I, there are millions and millions of crimes have been committed trying to get US dollars. I it it makes absolutely no sense to me that people make that argument. Like look what they're using crypto for. Actually, yeah, they're catching the people that take the crypto. They right. know the wallet they sent it to and they can track where it's going and they work backwards. You yeah, that's act- a good
1: point. I mean I think, I mean, the, what I've seen since working in this space since like 2013 is that almost every year there's a new fear narrative around cryptocurrency. And right. it's like the government can't really hang their hat on anything, right? Because they're, oh, it's too private and anonymous. No, it's not. Oh, well, then it's bad for the environment. It's not good with like, you know, it, for energy efficiency. Sure. I mean, every year, every year there's sort of a different argument and in reality, What the government wants is control over monetary policy. Like you said, printing as much money as they want. Um, Elizabeth Warren has been one of the biggest sort of critics of Bitcoin in this space and then blames inflation on other things besides the printing of money that we've been doing for the last year or two. Um, So, yeah, sometimes the arguments in this space don't really add
0: up. I I didn't think about what you just said until recently. That's a really good point. I don't want to lose that point. It is every year there's a new narrative of why it's bad. Yeah. And the narrative yeah. gets pushed down. Because I know, like, for us, we're thinking about, we're, we we use nuclear power, but we're thinking about moving some hydro online. It's very efficient, very cheap, very green. We bought the mm-hmm. new green miners, which have a carbon credit uh, with Bitmain. And obviously, every year they try to make a new, oh, they 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 pay no attention to the inefficiencies of, all the data centers out there and the power they use, but they want to claim that Bitcoin mining is, is very, uh, it's an interesting thought. I didn't think about that every couple years, they do come up with kind of a new, a new negative.
1: Because enough counter arguments have been made. They can't keep, I mean, when I, so I started my career at Silvergate bank in 2013. It's a major banking partner to cryptocurrency companies. And when I joined as legal advisor there to help them figure out how to bank, the large exchanges in this space. I mean, regulators, um, and banks were really worried about the money laundering concerns, then chain analysis. And some of these blockchain monitoring companies come out with reports of, well, the U S dollar is still the predominant use for money laundering. So that is, that's an insane thing to point to because people can go up to an ATM machine, put a bunch of dollar bills in there and it goes straight to their bank account. Um, so yeah, I think, I think, (laughs) <laughs> the, the arguments against it have had to like evolve and sort of think on on the they on the toes of it but like if you think about it what's frustrating is like at its core i think the united states has up until now arguably done a really good job at promoting innovation and allowing industries that are working to make new technology um feel supported and wanting those jobs and those companies to stay here in the U.S. Um, And so to me, it's so counterintuitive that all of a sudden, when we're talking about money, obviously money is very powerful, but it's still it's it. All we're talking about doing it in its very simplest form is banks uh, all over the world, even more so outside of the U.S., don't run very efficiently. They're closed on weekends and holidays. There's three to five business days for wires, there's large fees for cross-border remittance. Why wouldn't you be as a as a country interested in maintaining the thought leaders in that industry and and being viewed more as a uh, partner in that? So
0: they are a crypto I mean they're disrupting the system. I mean effectively, what what Western Union used to take a while to do and was not always a secured situation and very expensive on a low dollar amount. All the the delivery of that to you know from the U.S. to Mexico, from the U.S. to Canada, it's kind yeah. of being squished down. I I get it. It's really um, yeah. I, Silvergate. Wow, that that company's really innovated for sure. we we're, we're we're with Signature, but I know that Silvergate has been really kind of a dominant player in the space. Yeah.
1: They. Ju- I just read something last week that they acquired the intellectual property rights to the Facebook's Libra DM stablecoin, which was sort of a failed project because regulators came so came down so hard on Facebook for various things they've done over the you know the last decade. But um, you know it'll be interesting to see what what Silvergate Bank and just other banks in general start to do with. Um, you know not centralized digital assets, but stable coins and that sort of thing to just use those rails to you know improve upon the movement of money
0: well I didn't know that that they acquired the rights to libra
1: i I saw the headlines about it and I clicked on it, just interested who it was and then I saw Silvergate's name, and I think I tweeted like wasn't expecting to say see Silvergate as the purchaser um so,
0: yeah, it's it's really exciting. Yeah, to that's see where uh, all you heard her here first. I didn't know that. And obviously, you didn't hear it her first cuz she found it on Twitter, but you heard it her <laughs> from here first on this show. I don't know. I don't know, that probably doesn't make any sense. Uh, wow, I didn't think it. Wow, I wonder why they acquired it. That's interesting. That really was yeah. a failed project. It's a shame too because every time Facebook has tried to innovate, um, they've been so Facebook's really in a conundrum here because they really are a company that acquires technology. They never really, other than the original Facebook, that yeah. nothing else they built is they didn't acquire really, uh, except onto Facebook. And then so now their whole core model has been like you know they acquired WhatsApp, they acquired Instagram, and then when they try to make Libra, they get shut down pretty hard. Um, yeah,
1: I, I think part of it was. You know, not to go on a tangent, but, um, you know, stable coins, I think, have a lot of potential. And the idea of it is that the value is tied to an asset or basket of assets to give the stable coin price stability. So it's not as volatile as something like Bitcoin. But what Facebook did that I think they didn't hire the right law firm because I would have told them (laughs) that, you know, they were trying to make the stablecoin backed by a basket of assets that included other countries' currency. And they were going to choose the percentage of which the dollar was part of that um, different other you know countries' currencies. And I think the U.S. government was really able to quickly look at that and say, that's really plain monetary policy. Like, you know, we want to keep the value of the dollar here in the United States. And if you're adding a basket of assets, including other countries' Um, currency, you're starting to play with that too much. They also have a ton of reputational baggage from the data privacy and everything else that right. has happened. So right. I think yeah, they have an uphill battle.
0: I can't get my arms around stablecoin. It doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, why is a stablecoin any different than a U.S. dollar? Then a U.S. denominated cryptocurrency. Well, why, why? Why would a stablecoin like in theory? The Federal Reserve could issue their own stablecoin and say one dollar is one dollar, right?
1: Yeah, I um, think that's that's what CBDCs will will be if the bank does that. I mean, it will be the. I mean, the idea of the government digitizing the dollar is actually a little silly because we're pretty digital right now, right? I mean, we're using we're using cre- credit cards, debit cards, Venmo, different ways. And I can sell really like,
0: you right. I can sell you right now for free.
1: Yeah.
0: I don't think there's a um, transaction cost. Is there for Zelle? Uh,
1: I can't speak. I've never used Zelle, actually. I can't speak to that.
0: <laughs> but, I Zelle but, people all the time. I Zelle people. Um, that's really effectively digital money. Um, yeah. I do get the point about the credit cards, though, and some of the transaction fees involved in digital transfer. They're, you know, I, I actually just bought we, – uh, we own 19.9% of Earnity, and they charged me a 2% fee to buy Bitcoin. Um, uh, and I bought some yes last night cuz it was uh, like in the 36,000 range.
1: I did too. High five. Yeah, there
0: you go. High five. <laughs> Fist bump. There you go. Uh and I thought to myself, okay, I don't mind paying 10 bucks cuz I didn't buy a lot of it. It was like 500 bucks and I keep averaging in all the time. I don't know. It was actually a stupid transaction, but I really wanted to use my own platform as the first time I had bought something on a platform we invested in. Yep. And Everything in that space is getting squeezed, so I can't imagine that the banks don't lobby to be part of what's taking place there. I mean, could you almost imagine that on my Chase app where I have my brokerage account, I have my, my checking account, my credit cards, can't you imagine that I also have my Bitcoin listed there?
1: Yeah, I think it's, I think it's definitely a matter of time. I mean, when I was working at Coinbase, Um, The chief legal officer at the time was Brian Brooks, who then moved to the Office of Comptroller of Currency. And when he was there, he was really putting out all the guidance about national bank charters being able to custody crypto or um, deal with stable coins. Um, I think I I give it three to five years before what you're saying, like that you can open up a Bank of America and see it all right there.
0: Um, so where, um, where, in where in California are you?
1: So right now I'm in Santa Barbara. Um, I'm kind of in between Santa Barbara and Los Angeles.
0: That's terrible. I don't know how you deal with Santa Barbara. <laughs> Just kidding. It's pretty nice. No, I, I grew up uh, in the Orange County area, lived in Newport, Huntington, went to Huntington uh, uh, school in Huntington at Addison, and, uh, spent some time in Santa Barbara. I love it there. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Are you living there or is that where your office is or?
1: Um, I'm living here, and I'm planning to expand Anderson Kill's uh, presence into Los Angeles and open an office there.
0: Nice. And they're primarily East Coast-based?
1: Yeah, mainly D.C. and New York.
0: In your mind, what can Bitcoin be used for that allows you to sort of expand its usage, or do you see it as just a store of value and not really usable in any other borrowing platforms, lending platforms?
1: No, I mean, I think it can certainly do some many of the things you were just mentioning. And um, but it, but the SEC has to get OK. I mean, in the insurance realm, my background's not insurance, so I can't actually speak to sort of the different um, issues that would arise by trying to use Bitcoin to um, to sort of back insurance issuance. But when it comes to the various like lending protocols, I mean, there really shouldn't, in my perspective, there shouldn't be a reason why crypto can't be collateral for a car loan or a mortgage or, um, or even just lending out. And that's what's been interesting over the last few months is seeing all these different cryptocurrency companies really running head to head with the SEC. I mean, Coinbase reported that the SEC was said if you launch crypto lending, a crypto lending product, will sue you. They just settled with BlockFi about a crypto lending type yield product. So part of um, part of the potential for cryptocurrencies use in the US currently is being stifled by regulation.
0: Why why do they want to sue Coinbase though? Why would they why and I saw people recommend that they challenge that with the SEC, but why do they want to sue them over it? Why 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 not allow Coinbase just to lend money on that?
1: I I mean, I can't answer that, but I, I mean, I think you and I had spoken earlier a little bit about this idea that regulators are, you know, especially the SEC is supposed, is here to do investor protection. So that's something they can always point to and say, well, this is just prone to manipulation or there's not enough known about it, or it's too volatile um, and try to say that they're protecting investors. But if you go and talk to the industry Usually these are products that people really, really want. Um, I think what happened with with Coinbase, from what I could tell, just like public information wise, it seemed like there were, um, you know, the SEC and other regulators are constantly saying, oh, you know, we have a FinHub or we have this open door policy, come talk to us. Um, and sometimes I would probably advise clients not to do that because it gives, it gives, uh, you, you're you hoping for a good result, but if you don't get it, it it can turn into a situation like this. So from what I could tell just from um, Coinbase and the SEC's sort of statements on it, it's like Coinbase came to kind of have a frank conversation with the SEC. The SEC couldn't really point to why they couldn't do it, but said that they thought it would be a security offering. Um, and Coinbase said, well, we're going to launch it. And they said, if you do, we'll see you. Um, so... I mean, at the end of the day, in a lot of ways, regulators have that trump card. Companies can certainly, like, take a, a you know, make a risk decision and a business decision to to go with it. Um, you know, Ripple and is in litigation right now with the SEC about whether XRP was a security. Um, so companies can certainly do that. But um, for a lot of companies in the space, especially ones smaller than Coinbase, um, doing that, costs a lot of money and time and legal fees and it's not it's not something most most companies want to do.
0: You do bring up an important point and that is uh I was going to transition to Ripple. You know, they have head on fought the SEC in a really public forum and mm-hmm. actually won some important rulings from judges who allowed them to subpoena records and look right. at kind of what the SEC's thinking at the time, why they said Bitcoin wasn't a security. Ethereum wasn't a security, but Ripple is a security. Why they were sued right out of the way when Trump was leaving. What are your thoughts around the Ripple case?
1: So um, I agree with you. I think they've actually been doing a pretty good job um, putting up a fight. And I I think that uh, the reason I'm interested in where it goes is that I, I talked earlier about the space really benefiting from some clarity. And if the SEC is is having to show their cards any more than they have in the past, I think that'll be an overall positive thing, um, sort of regardless of the outcome because then at least there's some precedent and things people can point to um, when trying to understand token projects. But um, you know I think I, I think what we're seeing is that it it's really, I mean, It's clearly, if something's a security or not, is a very fact-intensive discussion. And I've seen some records from the uh, Ripple litigation of even, like, law firms sending emails and opinions about Ripple. And so it goes to show that, I mean, you can have all the law firms in the world giving their opinions, but it really is sort of such a fact-intensive analysis, and it's so new, applying, you know, tokens to this old SEC regulation and law that I think, you know, the, the outcome's kind of up for debate because it's sort of like one person's opinion against another, you know, regulators.
0: You only have eight months before the election, um, the midterm elections. And I I never want to be that guy who says, oh, there's no chance, uh, Biden's team, you know, the democratic side doesn't have suffer some losses here. But do you have a, a sense of whether the Republicans or Democrats are be- – which one's really better in your mind for um, Bitcoin and crypto regulation?
1: Um, you know, I try to kind of – I focus more on politics than uh, – or so, so more on the regulations than the actual sort of like po- po- political parties at play. But, I mean, I think that Republicans generally have a sense of sort of staying out of – of finance and, and sort of staying out of business a little, you know, staying out of people's business a little bit. So I think that some of the hostility we're seeing in the industry might be, might have become worse when, when Biden took over. Um, But what's interesting is a lot of these roles don't change. And, um, and at the end of the day, there are rules that these regulators are supposed to be pointing to that justify their approach of the industry. So, Um, It's kind of hard to tell. I mean, I always thought it was very interesting when Trump was in office. I mean, he had that day where he sort of went on this Twitter rant about hating Bitcoin. Um, And now Melania Trump has these NFTs. And, you know, it's just like a very interesting space to sort of um, sometimes maybe personal opinion doesn't actually make that much of an impact on on what what the space looks like.
0: Yeah, I have the analogy there, and that is Roger Goodell, who was uh, who was the chairman of the or head of the president of the NFL, whatever, a uh, CEO of the NFL, was completely against uh, these uh, you know these online apps for betting, right? Just a few years ago, we're completely against it. We don't think it's a smart idea, and here we are, three years or four years later, and now they're sponsoring stadiums, and they're they're you're they're in the broadcast, and they're all over the stadiums. So you'd think to yourself, you know, Bernie Sanders suddenly shows up and says, uh, "I love Bitcoin." You go, "What?" But you do see people make that that shift yeah. when they realize the technology, when they get over the rhetoric of it, and they go, "Okay, I, I kind of get it." I think that you you do. I think the best example of this, and I want to get your opinion. And I I'm a big admirer of, of Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. There, if people who know me know that Warren Buffett was an important person in my life when I was younger, and still is, uh, in terms of his teachings and and really how I got in the business. But when I listen to Charlie Munger say the Chinese have got it right, and it's rat poisoning, and he it's it, he's willing to just say this from a position of being a billionaire and just effectively discounting what it's doing for foreign uh, governments, like what it's doing for foreign countries, like El Salvador, where these guys are getting deflated out, their currencies are getting uh, annihilated. Yeah. Um, I wonder your commentary on why it's so old school versus young school. And I apologize about going on with the question, but it reminds me of like, even how stupid I was when I said to myself, a cell phone what are you talking about? I'm not going to pay that much for a cell phone, put it in my car when I can just stop and use a payphone. Yeah. I mean,
1: it was like yeah, an I, ignoramus
0: I, kind of thing to say, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, maybe it's, it's going back to that whole, you can't, you know, teach old dogs, new tricks. I mean, I think, I think people's life experience does dictate what they see value in. And so if you've never had, if you've always been able to trust trust your government, the banks, if you have always been able to access the traditional financial system. uh, Yeah, maybe you don't, maybe you kind of think this is weird internet money, but if you kind of take a step back and look at the global experience with finance, the number of people that are unbanked and get access to financial markets because they have a smartphone and can now use Bitcoin, Um, You brought up El Salvador, these, you know, the first country that ever made Bitcoin legal tender. Um, And I think even the pushback they're getting there in El Salvador is sort of that lack of understanding. Um, You know, and I also think that people sometimes say things before they truly believe it themselves. You know, sometimes I think even Gary Gensler and things I'm hearing people say, I'm like, I don't even know if that's truly that person you know when they go to bed at night and they're laying in bed if they are really like believe what they just said it might it might be part of a, polit- a bigger political like scheme in place when
0: we experienced when we started bitcoin mining we experienced banks shutting us down and that's what the big deal with silvergate was is that we were shut down by wells fargo bank of america chase bank i think almost oh, yeah. every institution we went to found out we were bitcoin mining they shut us down farmers and merchants And they just did it universally. We're shutting all your accounts down. I remember U S bank shutting us down and they shut down my wife's girl scout account. I'm like, what the hell does that have to do with anything? And they use this universal nine 11 money laundering. Like everyone, everything's money laundering. Like the universally stupid comment. Uh, we're trying to avoid money laundering. Everyone's a money launderer. Even the girl scouts are a money launderers. Um, I wondered if you think that that's changing now that Silvergate and Signature Bank are really banking people in the Bitcoin space. Is that kind of going away a little bit or do you think that the bigger banks are still like you're related to Bitcoin? We can't touch you.
1: I think I think it is slightly going away. I mean, I, I remember years ago when like individual users would have their accounts shut down just for sending $200 to Gemini or Coinbase, you know, like a, like a, a bank would – shut you down even just as a user of cryptocurrency wanting to buy some. And I think we, I think we are seeing a lot less of that now. Um, I think the general tone that I'm seeing is almost more of a convergence between crypto and banking. Um, The real issue, and I think the real smart move that, you know, some of these earlier banks like Silvergate, Signature, Metropolitan, um, it's not that you can't, it's not that the any perceived increased inherent risk of Bitcoin is is insurmountable. Like there's no there's nothing on this earth, maybe besides certain jurisdictions that are on the OFAC list. But there's nothing really that you can't if you do increase due diligence of something that you can't say, OK, I'm, I'm comfortable that we've put enough people and resources on our team to analyze a company like Coinbase and make sure their program is good and proceed that way. I think the problem is that big banks already make a ton of money off what they're doing. And so it doesn't justify them bringing someone like me on and building out this huge, I mean, Silvergate has grown so much since 2013, just their crypto practice having to bring in lawyers and compliance specialists and onboarding vendors like Chainalysis and Elliptic and that sort of thing. Like there's just a lot of overhead to mitigate the perceived, um, money laundering risks. And I say perceived, I'm not saying that it's true increased money laundering or illicit activity or terrorist financing risk. But yeah, I think the um, you know, nine 11 gave the Patriot act and the bank secrecy act a lot more teeth than it had before. Um, And a lot of times like uh, regulators and the government can use like tragedies or current events to try to explain why they want to exert more control um we've seen it with covid we've seen it in canada i mean it's happening current day too um and so yeah a lot of times what's pointed to is bank bank accounts were used to fund 9-11 crypto could be too um so don't give crypto companies bank accounts but i think we've seen company banks do that very successfully and i would hope that more are interested in understanding the space
0: okay so you've set up an initiative i i, I don't know if i'm car- categorizing it right but i i know you're working on some stuff i want to hear about what you're working on in terms of how people can connect with you sort of what your your thoughts are on the space
1: yeah thanks um so yeah i've i've been ever since i got into the space i just couldn't get enough information and i started attending conferences and meetups in the city i cities i lived in and um and over the last year with COVID, I found people you know, are moving, lot, moving around a lot more, sort of nomadic. They aren't really based in one specific place. And so I helped um, launch an organization last November called Crypto Connect. Um, and I'm excited about it because for two reasons. One, it's uh, the entire board is really established professional women in the space. The organization itself Um, host educational pieces and meetups that are open to everyone, completely co-ed and open to everyone. But I felt like there was this sort of constant um, narrative around cryptocurrency sort of being so male dominated. And there's so many amazing men and women in the space. I wanted to sort of help showcase some of the women I had gotten to know. Um, But we launched in 12 different cities and have started to have quarterly meetups. And all of those meetups have been super well attended. And the idea is that if you're a member of Crypto Connect in general, you can ping into any of these city organizations when you travel for work, if you move, um, if you're somewhere for a few days for business. Um, and so I think it's going to be a really neat way for people to kick new people to continue to come into like the fold of the industry and, and learn things. Um, but also in sort of this new era of COVID and travel and um, things like that to continue bolstering the opportunities for in-person meetings and, um, you know, business development, networking, that sort of thing. So it's been, it's been really exciting so far. I never thought I'd help sort of found a company Um,
0: and it's keeping me busy. how How do people find out about it?
1: Um, so cryptoconnect.org is our, um, URL. We have a member sign-up where there's a dropdown of the 12 cities that you can be affiliated with. Uh, you can choose whatever city's closest to you. We're also adding six more, uh, cities in the next few months. So we're hoping to continue growing this and have it eventually be an international thing as well, where when people travel internationally, they can ping into the networks, um, also, I'm very active on Twitter. I, I um, you know, keep sort of my followers updated on regulatory developments. And my handle on Twitter is Haley Lennon BTC. Um, so, you know, if you're interested in more crypto legal and regulatory news, and I also just try to keep it light and funny sometimes on there. So <laughs> those are probably the two best ways to keep in touch. But yeah, I'm, you know, super excited for people who are interested in right, this I'm about
0: to follow you. Can you follow me back?
1: Yeah, I'll follow
0: you back. Okay, I just followed you right now. Hello and BTC I see you. I'm e- easy. It's really complicated. Todd Alt 3. <laughs> I'm I'm Milton Todd the 3rd and okay. I have two Twitter's, a personal and then my business Twitter which I just followed you on. I see awesome. you Anderson Kills Law, Crypto Connect. Oh, nice. I'm going to follow Crypto Connect too. Yeah. Oh, hey, so how do you, how what does it cost any money to join Crypto Connect?
1: No. So we're a nonprofit and um, all of our events are sponsored by cryptocurrency companies in the space. So our events are free. We may eventually start putting out some uh, like webinars and educational things that would have a small fee associated. But for now, it's open to everyone and free. And uh, the goal is just to keep connecting the industry.
0: So you're going to let BitNile be a sponsor?
1: I would love
0: that. Okay, I'm waiting for it right now. You're talking okay. to the chairman right now. I'm the founder. Awesome. And we, we, we're we going to have 20,600 miners installed by s- September. We we were one of uh, five companies invited to Dubai to buy Bitmain's new green miner. Uh, oh. We're heavily invested in Michigan and our location there. We bought an old copper plant, turned it into a Bitcoin mining facility, a data center. Uh, oh. We're pretty excited about the space. Uh, yeah. I, I, I badly want to ask you a question and I think it's really important. I appreciate your time, Haley. Really. Of course. Uh, I, I want to do this again with you. Um, I'd love for you to consider becoming coming to our crypto event with Tom Lee, Michael Saylor, uh, for Dr. Frank Albo, if you can make it in May. The okay. Saturday in May, I think it's May 14th. Okay, uh, It's in Las Vegas at the Paris Hotel. It's called a Risk On Business Conference. One day is about, awesome. about crypto. Um, I'd love for you to be on that panel. I'd obviously pay awesome. your way to get here and – and whatever your speaking fee is, or whatever, we can talk about that. Um, yeah. But, well, thank um, you. I'd
1: love to be involved.
0: Super excited you're here. Now, I'm going to sign yeah. off for a second. Uh, everybody follow her at Crypto Connect. Uh, Haley's Twitter account will be up on the screen. Haley, thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks okay. for having me. Now, i to you